Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Trey. Trey, are you stoked for this episode? Yes, I am, actually. So we're going to be talking about Trey's, like, number one favorite band of all time. What band is that? Oh, you know, just <laughs> some some guys. Some little band from London. It's The Cure and their Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me album, which was a double album. Right. So I discovered the cure of Fall of 85, which we're going to get into that in an upcoming episode because we're going to do that album, I think. So this is the first full album of new music that they put out since I had found them. The thought of a band crossing styles of music within one album had never crossed my mind. At that point in my life, I was freshly 17 when this came out. It just blew my circuits. I, I, I didn't... I, I honestly had no idea what to think of it at first. I was like, what in the world is going on here? What are these people doing? I loved it, but I was like, what the fuck? You know, because some of it's just top 40 music. There's an almost metal song on it. Some of it is almost like lovey-dovey songs of the era. And some of it is just almost fusion jazz. So you, 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 they were just so well all over the place with this. One thing I do know about the inspiration from this album is Robert does say he was listening to a whole lot of Prince when they were writing and recording this. And I can totally, now I can totally see that. I'm like, yeah, that's very evident in this. Interesting. I wouldn't have made that connection. Hmm? And you, you know, Robert says Love Sexy is his favorite album of the 80s. Oh, see, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he like, champions that album whenever he... You know, whatever chance. Of, wasn't he wearing a print shirt at the Minnesota show here recently? I don't know, but it certainly would have been appropriate. Yes. Every every yeah. concert on this past tour, which I unfortunately missed, he was wearing a shirt with some relation to the city they were in. So I, I think he was wearing a Prince t-shirt at the Mini, Minneapolis show. I got it out. Okay. All right. <laughs> I had to, well, had to reach down and throw that out of there. Okay. All right, well, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me was released on May 25th, 1987, and it was the band's seventh studio album. The original title of this album, I guess, was supposed to be One Million Virgins. Had you heard that before? There's a couple of things. It was going to be called this or that or the other, and I don't think any of that was true. Okay, because that, that's actually pretty typical. Bands will change their mind quite often. Robert can be... In your face, but I, I think he would have had enough sense not to do something like that. Yeah, we should also note right here before going forward, Robert was very prone to lying in interviews in this period in time. Oh, was he? Okay. Oh, so yes. You can't, take, yes. You can't he, trust anything he's saying necessarily, huh? He was well known for pulling interviewers' legs and being mischievous and saying things that were like that whole 
the cure were done after disintegration thing. It was just him fucking around. Ah, interesting. Well, they recorded this album in Provence, France. Uh-huh. And I had read, now now you've got me questioning whether this is true or not. I had read that Robert Smith forced himself to write 15 days out of every month. That's true. Okay. And from what I understand, the songs were just kind of pouring out of him, but also the other band members. He was really doing a very good job of uh, getting their input and their collaboration on things. So this turned out to be their most commercially accessible album, at least at the time. It peaked at number 35 on the U.S. Billboard 200 Albums chart, and it spawned a few successful singles. This was actually the first Cure cassette that I bought, and I bought it solely on reputation. I actually didn't know any of their music, but I had just heard of this band called The Cure, thought I would check them out. So I had the double album on cassette. Uh, I bought the cassette myself. I didn't yet have a compact disc player. In the mm-hmm. store, store my high school girlfriend and I, we watched after school the day this came out and, to get it. And we each bought a copy of it, the cassette. I don't think they had the final LP in stock. I can still remember the smell of that cassette tape, too. Kind I, of a fruity I, smell, almost. <laughs> I don't believe it. I knew it was going to be a double LP. So when we got to the store, I think it was marked. You know how they used to write the price in grease pencil on the cover of cassettes? Yes, yes. I still remember seeing the 1198 sale, you know, written in some. Right, which for a cassette tape would have been very expensive in 87. Yeah. So I later had the CD, and that actually led to a little bit of a discovery over the weekend, Trey, as you and I were preparing for this episode. I was thinking, you know, you kept emailing me and you kept saying 18 songs, 18 songs. And I'm thinking, there's only 17. Then you explained to me that one of the songs was omitted from the CD. And, of course, I have the CD, so I didn't realize I was missing a song. Well, if you actually look in your liner notes, it, tell, it explains that what I've said to you in there. It's due to the limitations of the compact disc, we could only, you know, they didn't want the album to be on two CDs because it would have been 30 fucking dollars. Right. And Robert Smith was very conscientious, I think, of trying to give uh, listeners value for their money, trying to keep the price point low. He was, but he also re- realized that the record company was right. People weren't going to pay $30 for a double album by still somewhat relatively unknown man in the U.S. So right. he went along with it. So before we go into the album itself, let's talk about who were members of The Cure at this time, because their lineup has changed a few times over the years. Well, there's some explanations we have to do in here with that, too. This is going to be my episode, folks. Lori will just sort of be the narrator, I think, is the best way to put this. First and foremost, we should note that Lawrence Tolver, one of the founding members of the band, had a terrible alcohol and drug problem, which... And this error got increasingly out of hand. And we'll get to some songs about that later in this album. So we should mention that now for what we're going to get to in a second. The other members were Robert, Oral, Simon, and Boris Williams. And Boris had only joined during the Head on the Door era as solely a touring member and then was asked to join the band. Okay, so let's backtrack for a second here. So we've got Robert Smith, 
mm-hmm. who is the vocalist songwriter. Uh, he also plays guitar. I think he played keyboards on a few songs, right? We've got Simon Gallup on bass guitar, Coral Thompson on guitar and keyboards, Lal Tolhurst, who you mentioned on keyboards, and Boris Williams, who you mentioned on drums and percussion. Okay, so on the onset of the tour, Lawrence's shape was not good. So they realized they were going to have to add a second keyboardist, but they didn't want to fire Lawrence or Lal or whatever you want to call them. They were doing a lot of drugs and heavy drinking. <laughs> they were partying too. We'll get to that over the course of this album because a couple of these songs are clearly about drug abuse. I'm going to guess you had never noticed that before. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I was just about to I was just about to say I have not listened to this album from start to finish probably since 1990. There were a lot of songs here that I'd completely forgotten about. Yeah, there are some that I'm hearing in a new way now. So, I'm I'm, you know, hearing things that I hadn't heard before. So, uh with that, should we dive into this 18 track double album? Let's go. All right. So the first track is called The Kiss, and it starts with three minutes and 45 of instrumental. Let's play a little snippet of The Kiss. I do know, Trey, that this is where the album title comes from, right? The first line of the song is, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. But uh, tell me about this song. There's a whole lot of speculation. Some people say it's about a woman that was cheating on somebody. Personally, I just think it's about drugs. Okay. Why do you think that? Because most of this album is about drugs. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I did. You know, Robert really, if ever, I think we've discussed this on another Pure Song on another episode. Rarely, if ever, has he given reasonings or meanings behind the songs, and this this album is no different. So, so at first listen, it does sound like it's a toxic love affair, right? Your tongue is like poison, so swollen it fills up my mouth. But now that you mention it, I can see how maybe this could be a metaphor. Maybe it's not a relationship with a partner. Maybe it's a relationship with drugs where he says, I never wanted this. I never wanted any of this. I wish you were dead. I I think it's about having a bad time on LSD. Okay. You know, that's interesting. I I never saw it that way, but I, I, I see how that could fit. I don't know if you've ever messed with LSD, but. I did a fair amount of it in my late teens, early twenties, and uh, okay, all right. Your play, you, you you can have a bad night with it, and I think that's what this is about. Okay, like a bad trip. Yeah. 
Gotcha. I think, I don't know, Cure fans don't come and, you know, carry torches at me over this. That's just my one thing of speculation. I don't think it's written towards the white or any of this other crap people got out there that I was reading about last night. I just don't believe that. Yeah, because most of the stuff that he wrote about his wife was just like heaven and love song. I mean, it, it he seemed to worship her, at least in the songs. They have a pretty solid relationship from what little is known about their marriage and all. They've been together since they were 12, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing, I mean, like doing goals, something right. 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 Okay, anything else you want to say about the kiss? You know, I should also note here that apparently Simon was listening to a lot of metal. He's a big fan of Iron Maiden. Okay, and, and had, Simon's the bassist, right? The bass player, and it had got Robert Smith and Iron Maiden, and I think Robert kind of wanted to dabble in the metal a bit. Really? I mean, it's a metal song. Okay. I, I wouldn't have classified it as that, but okay. Look it up live. They were clearly going for a, a hard rock sound with this song, at least. Okay. Up next, we have Catch. released as a single in some European countries that even had a video done for it. Oh, I haven't seen the video for it. Spelled somewhere in Paris, and they're kind of looking around a beach, and some, I don't know what it is, ruins of something. Okay. So, yeah, you as you said, it was released as a single in the UK, but not in the US, on June 22nd, 1987. This is a really catchy, see what I did there? catchy little ditty i like the the you know doo 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 at the beginning it's a it's a pop song and it's also one of the shorter tracks on the album indeed it is i didn't know till years later that it had even been released as a single elsewhere yeah no i didn't either until actually this weekend i didn't realize this had been a single no i like this one this is a really good one it's a pretty cool song it's not one of my cure go-to's but i know is that you know it's not one i skip either Okay. I think that about covers it with that one. Okay. So next up, we have a song called Torture. Which is one of my favorite songs by the band overall. This is uber goth. 
I mean, come on. I'm here for one more treacherous night, another night with you. And then there's one place where he sings hanging like this like a vampire bat. I mean, that's like every goth cliche right there. <laughs> Again, more likely than not, I think this is about having a bad night with drugs rather than S&M or whatever else is out there about it. Okay. I could see it. Robert is a very creative writer. It has a very unique way of elaborating things into a song. One thing I love about this song is that famous, infamous signature Simon Gallup rolling bass line. Oh, I love his bass, yeah. It's got a very distinctive sound. It's unmistakable when you hear a Cure song. Whenever I've been around somebody that thinks they're an ace bass player, I go, all right, figure this one out. And I play the song for like, Jesus, how did this guy even do that? <laughs> That's probably why it doesn't get played live much either. It's got to be a really complicated song to play. Yeah. They, they do churn it out here and there still. I was going to say there's probably some overdubs in the studio, you think? Oh, for sure. Probably it was yeah. played once a loop for the recording. Uh, you know, that reminds me of something. That, that's sort of a ongoing thing with me in this show. Is that This album also heavily featured the DX7 synthesizer. I meant to throw that in there at the beginning. Okay, synth boy. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to take track four? If only tonight we could sleep. If only tonight we could sleep. Oddly, I, I just really don't like this song, and it's somehow become a fan favorite. It's been covered a ton of times by actually several metal bands, which is, I must say, what a strange song for them to pick the cover about the cure. But hey, at least they're fans, you know, it's, it's cool to see. I, I hate this song. I love this one. I mean, it's kind of veering into dream pop, and I'm going to say that about a few of the tracks on this album, where... If I didn't know who The Cure were, and, you know, they were really kind of labeled as this goth band, then I would have lumped this in with, like, certain dream pop bands, you know, like A.R. Kane and uh, Cocteau Twins. The first two minutes and 45 seconds are instrumental. A big part of it is, and I think it must be a synth. I don't think it's a real sitar. I think it's it, a synthesized it is indeed sitar. A real, it is indeed a real is sitar. It really? Is it yeah. really? Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, it. It's just, it's so gorgeous and shimmery and, oh, this it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous song. They apparently borrowed the sitter from uh, Susie and the Banshees. Well, that doesn't surprise me. So, why they had one, I don't know, but, you know, they're, they're a gang. kind of the in thing. They were a gang of weirdos themselves. Right, so... <laughs> I guess we disagree on that one, huh? Ooh, this is a rune clear for me. Really? Yes. Wow. 
Okay. I just said, that's that's how, kind of how I felt about torture. It just crushes the flow of the album to me. They, they should have put it later on in the LP or put one of the B-sides, like Snow in Summertime or Japanese Dream would have been better. Well, now that's interesting to hear you say that because I went back and I read a number of critical reviews starting back in 87, but then also more recent, like, retrospectives. And the one thing that I hear over and over from critics, not just about this album, but about the Cure albums in general, is that Robert Smith did an excellent job with the sequencing and the track order. That that is like one of their their strongest gifts, is being able to order things in such a way that it flows nicely. So you're in the minority there. <laughs> Overall, they're, they're, not, they're not wrong. I mean, it's a brilliantly laid out album, but you just start off with these three great songs and then boom, take a nap. They should have kept that momentum going. Well, so I think if this was on vinyl, this would be the end of side one. And we'd be flipping to side two. Maybe. I think there were three songs of sad on this. I think it was four and four and then five and five. There were several pressings of this album. So I think that is actually going to vary on where you purchased the album. Interesting. So... All right, well, the next track, Trey, is the first single off the album, which was released April 6th, 1987, and that is Why Can't I Be You. And I do know what this song is about. Oh, see, I'm very curious to hear you say. It was written towards Mary, and he loved her so much that he just wished he could see things through her eyes and see how she felt. Which, interestingly enough, long before we, we would have ever had the ability to know that, my high school girlfriend told me that this song made her think of how she feels towards me. And then years later, I heard Robert say that, and I was like, holy, wow. You know, the lyrics always kind of confused me a little bit. And I, I get, you know, especially what you've just said, that makes perfect sense. I guess I've never felt that way about anybody where it was like that kind of all-consuming, no, not just I want to be with you, but I, I want to be you. You know, I, I can't say that I can relate to that. The giant opening vagina in the video didn't tip you off? I don't remember the video. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Boy, that's going to give me nightmares, though. You don't remember <laughs> Robert dressed up like a pink bunny? and? No, I really don't. Glory. Sorry. Sorry. This one was actually all over MTV, which surprised me. Yeah, I, I, it's not one of the videos that I remember. I remember it was on MTV. I just, I don't know why I don't remember the video. Alexa and Warner Brothers really wanted to push the cure in America on this album. So 
I don't know how all this works, but they really got in TV to play this video. And they were really promoting a single. If you remember, like, if you were buying Rolling Stone or Spin mm-hmm. at the time, every book, there was an ad for this single and album in it, just right there prominently. Front of the magazine, New Cure album, new single, you know, right there. And they, they were really pushing this record. So the single reached number 54 on the Billboard Hot 100. And a remix charted at number eight on the Hot Dance Music Maxi Singles Sales Chart and 27 on the Dance Music Club Play Singles Charts. So maybe that backing from the record company is starting to pay off. It did. It did. Certainly. We'll get to that in a minute with another single from the album. Up next, we have How Beautiful You Are, which is just another fantastic song. It's another one of those songs on this album. It just comes completely out of left field. And you're like, what in the world? You know, where are they going with this? You know, as I was re-listening to this, because again, I haven't listened to this since about 1990. The instrumentation really reminds me of another Cure song that'll come out a few years later, and that is Love Song. I don't see that at all. You do or don't? I know. Oh, no, the instrument, yeah, the instrumentation, it's got the same kind of structure and, like, kind of melodious, yeah, no? Oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, that's what I wrote down when I was listening to it yesterday. So, the lyrics are really interesting, though. The first line, you want to know why I hate you? Well, I'll try and explain. It's based on some classic poem. Someone like that. It's a, it's based on some poem. Okay. Actually, I think a couple of them. It's a combination of several pieces of classic literature sort of wrapped up into one song. Look it up and see if you can find that. Yeah, I didn't I, see anything. I meant, I meant to do that. I think it might even mention that in the liner notes. Okay, well, I don't have that, so. Here we go. The literary brilliance of the cures. How beautiful you are. Baudelaire, Charles yes. Baudelaire. There yes. you go, there you go. I should have looked that up. I apologize for that. That's all right. So, yeah, it's uh, apparently inspired by Baudelaire. That's interesting. Yeah. He's French. He was French, right? Yes. It's just another great song. I don't have a whole lot to add to that. Do you? No, no, no. I, I like it. it. It is a really good song. If you've got the uh, Cure Box set, Join the Dots. There's an un- this. They had pondered releasing this as a single for the summer of '88, and even had the song remixed for a single release, but decided not to do it at the last minute. So if you got that box set, you can hear that version of the song. So hmm, I'll have to check that out. It's it's on YouTube. Yeah, I figured. All right. So next up, Trey, we have a song called "The Snake Pit." 
which is apparently inspired by opium. It may or may not be about something that happened with New Orleans in 1985 on the head tour. Oh, what's that story? I, I don't know. That just something oh. Robert said once. They'd done a lot of drugs in New Orleans, and apparently they ended up in some... Uh, it, there's a, another similar story with the cure involving, I think, San Diego and drugs in 1982, but apparently they ended up in some woman's car. It was apparently too yeah. drunk to drive and got them stuck somewhere. That's all I've ever known about it. Boy, I wouldn't get that at all from this song. <laughs> well, the, there's a bunch of stupid girls and they won't stop talking, one. Okay. So, I don't know. that. When we get to disintegration, there's another story that happened on this tour about them abusing substances and getting in some more trouble. So we'll save that for that album. There's a song about it. All right. All right. Well, so the Snake Pit, this is another one that I would classify as ethereal dream pop. This is not what I would classify as, you know, the stereotypical goth. I mean, this is this is dream pop through and through. And we even have Robert Smith playing the recorder a bit on this song. Is it the sitter in this one, too? Yeah, 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 I think you're right. I think there is. I like this one, though. I, You know, I, I think there's a, a, a couple of songs in a row that I think are really, really strong. To me, it starts with If Only Tonight We Could Sleep. And then it's like that four-song sequence. Why Can't I Be You, How Beautiful You Are, The Snake Pit. I think those four songs together are just gorgeous. And I that even would have been like a great EP if they wanted to, you know, put out like a sampler. Those four songs together, I think, are just phenomenal. I think there actually was a Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me sampler out there somewhere. Oh, yeah? One of those record store promo things. I know there was one that came in. It came in a first aid kit thing. And it had really? a yeah, it had a cassette sample. It's worth a whole lot of money now because they didn't make a lot of them. Yeah, I, I that's wild. And there's a kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. I say that too many times. Paperweight out there. There's a whole lot of promotional material for this album floating around. I, you know what? I might later in the week put some of it on our Facebook page, some pictures of some of that stuff. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, because I'm not aware of any of this stuff. So like I like I was saying, the lecture was really pushing this album, and they were. You know, they really sunk some money into the promotion of it. They were trying to get record store clerks to push it, too. So they were giving them lots of free stuff that, you know, have in the store and give out to fans and, you know. Now, at this time, Trey, I was actually working at a record store. And that's actually, I think, you know, I bought, I used my employee discount to buy the cassette. I remember seeing a few posters, but that's yeah. all I saw. What, what so, chain was it? Well, it was a, a, a store called Oranges that got bought out by Musicland. So I was there like right when the transition was happening. So think like Empire Records, you know, how it's right. kind of an indie store that gets bought out by a chain. That's That was my life. And I think the reasoning behind that is as they were focused on national chains such as Camelot, you know, gotcha. Ma, Ma stores, which is... I mean, they weren't wrong, but I guess as they figured where Cure fans were back then, and that's where I hung out, so. Gotcha. You know. Yeah, Oranges might have been a local chain. There might have been a few locations. Uh, I was only aware of the one that I worked at. It might have actually been, it might have been a one-off. I really don't know. Okay, so we're done with the Snake Pit. Do you want to take the next one? Up next, we have Hey You, that song that 
perplexed Lori. Perplexed me because it wasn't on my CD. Right. Yes. Does your CD have the lyric book, or is it? Because there was one that just had a little paper insert. The original pressings it's, have a book, like a book. Yeah. No. This just this just had a piece yeah. Of paper. So you got a like a nineties issue of it. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Hey, you. Okay. This does not sound like the cure at all to me. And I'd forgotten about this because it wasn't on my CD. I could have lived without having to listen to this one. It seems really out of character, not just for the band, but for the rest of the CD with the quick tempo. And then we've got saxophone by a guy named Andrew Brennan. But I mean, it almost has like a Duran Duran vibe to it. And it just doesn't seem right for The Cure. What do you think? I think this is Robert's way of writing a silly pop song. Okay. I don't think he realized he was very good at doing it and had already done it later again doing his hype and had done on the album. I, I think it's a thing of you, you don't realize when you're writing songs and stuff, you don't realize what you're doing because you're hearing it from a biased view. I still agree with you. I don't understand why one of the B-sides wasn't included instead of this silly thing, but it, I like it. It's, it's the cure. Uh, one thing I noticed... He returns to a number of the same themes lyrically. And there's two songs in a row here where he's talking about Christmas. So the snake pit started with, well, we're a mile underground and I'm thinking that it's Christmas. And then this one, you're the one that looks like Christmas. So Robert, is he one of these people that just kind of has this idea, you know, Christmas is like all things that are good and and beautiful and wholesome. It's like Christmas, you know? really don't know the cure well, do you? No, I don't. Why? Christmas is mentioned on almost every album they've ever done. Oh, okay. It's on Disintegration. It's somewhere in there on Head on the Door. It's on Pornography. No one knows why. It's just something he does. It's weird. My guess is most of these albums were recorded over the fall and into winter. So they was probably writing, writing a lot of these songs at Christmas. Hmm. Okay. So... All right, so next up, we have one of my personal favorites, Trey. The third single from the album, second in the USA, Just Like Heaven. Show me, show me, show me.
where to begin with this one? I think this is the first song that I heard by The Cure that I really love. I, I, I couldn't say that, but I definitely love it. Mm-hmm. I had heard everything Nate done up till now at this point. So it's a great song. It's a fantastic. It's, it's, you know, there's so many things on the internet about this song, about it being the most perfect pop song ever written. And it's just, it's, it's unreal to me that and someone who had gotten into them and they were considered an underground band and then all of a sudden fall of 87 they're on top 40 radio and on mtv every Mm -hmm. five minutes i was it was cool but i was like wow and then the people who had picked on me for listening to strange music for the past several years were coming up going do you have that album by the cure and you know what i was a nice guy and i I made them copies of it well you know i didn't i didn't judge anyone okay this song is it's, it's such a wonderful song no i do get sick of hearing it at times okay so as you mentioned, Fall of 87, it was released as a single on October 5th. It was The Cure's first top 40 hits. It reached number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 for one week in January of 1988. Now, I read that it was inspired by a trip to the French seaside with Mary, his future wife. Probably partially. Okay. Do you know about the connection to this song and a French TV show called Les Enfants du Rock? They, yes, this comes up all the time. They made a short documentary about the cure in 1987. And they aired a clip of, it was just clips of the band goofing around and in the studio and such. And they had this song over it in the documentary. Probably 20 years ago, someone uploaded that to YouTube and said, I'll turn out a video for just like ever on it. And it took off like wildfire. Now, that's interesting. It's a little bit different than what I had read that this was a TV show and they asked the cure to provide a theme song and Robert was still writing. He hadn't written the lyrics yet, but they had the instrumental version. So he offered them the instrumental version to use as the theme song for this French TV show. And Robert explained it meant the music would be familiar to millions of Europeans even before it was released. So that's why he decided to do that. I've heard yes and no on that one. I don't know what to say. I do know it was indeed used as the theme song for a scant period there, but there's also yeah. that other thing with the complete song in the clips, which was used in that documentary. So, gotcha. Again, gotcha. things Robert said in the Sarah can't be taken to heart. And he'll tell you that himself. If you look it up, he'll say, yeah, I would... he was probably drunk and on drugs. <laughs> a lot of these interviews, too. Okay. I have seen him say that he's like, I have, I don't recall saying that. I must have been a little tipsy that day. They, you know, they wheeled me into a room and said, talk. And so I did. All right. Well, I have a damn interesting story about this song that I was on the fence okay. about telling, but I, I think I'll go ahead and share this with the, with the world. All right. <laughs> the days leading up to 4th of July, 1987, my parents' girlfriend, I mean, my girlfriend's parents went out of town. So on a Sunday afternoon, we had been together just over a year at this point. We were head over heels in love. I went to her house to pick her up for what I thought was going to be a trip to get pizza and make her go see a movie. Upon arriving at her house and getting to the door, I noticed this song was blaring as loud as you could possibly imagine. And as soon as my feet hit the doorstep, she opened the door and basically pounced on me. So I pretty much lost my virginity to this album that afternoon. Oh. 
Okay. <laughs> came along unsuspecting and uh, got got pounced on at the door. Little did I know when I set out that fateful Sunday, how many years ago was that now? Was that 45, 46 years ago? 36? Yeah. <laughs> 36. Wow. So it wasn't so clever clearing, but I lost my virginity to a full play of this entire album. Oh, goodness. And then we went and got pizza and Probably everybody in the pizza restaurant realized what we had just done. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's what we looked like. I'm keeping all of this in the episode. This is not being edited out. Please do. All right. I'm sure our hair was messed up and our we were red-faced and our clothes were just dis- dis- disheveled. Everybody nice. we encountered that afternoon was grinning at us year to year. So I'm like, they, they know what happened. Oh boy. All right. All right. Well, do you want to take the next song? <laughs> Let me get back to my list. Okay, uh, up next we have All I Want, which is actually another one of my favorites on this album. And they, they resurrected for the 2016 U.S. tour. this is a good one Uh, many times when i'm hearing the intro to this one you know it's got another long dark moody kind of instrumental intro as as most of robert smith's songs do i actually sometimes get confused and think it's new order until i hear robert's voice and i'm like oh yeah this isn't new order because there's so many similarities between what new order was doing at the time is he saying, I just want to hold you like a doll or like a dog? Dog. What does that mean? I don't know. I guess he likes puppies. I know we had a couple of Irish setters at this point uh, referencing them. Who knows? Okay. I mean, I, it, it's a good song. I, I, I really like this one. It's just hold you like a dog. Okay. There's some pictures of him floating around out there in this era, but I think he had four of them. Maybe he thought Mary looked like an Irish setter. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. All right. You know, we should have mentioned in the Just Like Evan thing, that is, in fact, Mary. In the video? In the middle of the video, yeah. Sorry to just burp that out. It came in my head. I'm no, that's saying, hey. fine. That's fine. I do it, too. Okay. Next up, third single in the U.S., fourth single in U.K. This is Hot, Hot, Hot. Yes, 
which is clearly about LSD. And see that I never would have interpreted it that way in a million years. I mean, I I told you my theory. I thought this was about orgasm. No, it's it's about LSD. It's it's very obviously. I think I believe he's even said as such. I'm not sure, but you ask anyone that was secure, they're gonna go, "Yeah, that was about them doing acid." Okay, because you know it's like the first time I saw lightning strike, it hit me underground, and then you know then it hit me in bed and shook me around and left me for dead. I mean, I guess I could see that being LSD, but you could see how I could interpret it my way too, right? I can kind of see that, but it is clearly about drug use. Okay. All right. I'll take your That's word for it. That's why the video was so hazy looking and, you know, tell me you've seen the video. I have. I seem to remember that it's very dark and that there's a lot of like animated. Right. Right. Like an acid yeah. trip. They were apparently tossed drunk when they were filming it. Okay. So this one went to 65 in the Billboard Hot 100, but number 11 in the Billboard Dance Club Songs chart. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, Trey, that he was inspired by Prince. I think of all the songs on the album, this is the one I can kind of see that because it really kind of has that funk rhythm guitar to it, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Apparently, Pearl had a big influence on this song, too, with the funky guitar. Yeah, I, I mean, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I think that there was more of a collaboration with the, the other band members on a lot of these songs. Well, they would all end in little demos of bits of music they would come up with. So, And again, they don't really say who did what, but a lot of these songs were written as a collaborative. Robert would do the lyrics on the base of the song and then add to it with what other people gave him. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like it worked. Yeah, it did work very well. Okay, you're next. Up next, we have one more time. I'd never heard The Cure do anything like this. And don't get me wrong, I like it, but I was like, where are they? You know, it's another one where I was like, what in the world? Oh, it's it's more dream pop. I mean, this one is really reminiscent of the Cocteau Twins. Again, I think he was just trying to write like a top 40 pop song. You know, the okay. power ballads and ballads along this lines were all the rage in this era. And I think he was just trying to do something along that lines. I really like this one, though. I mean, it, it's mostly instrumental. I mean, I guess that's true of a lot of the, the songs here. And is that an ocarina that I'm hearing? Or I mean, I know Robert played recorder on two other songs. I didn't find any credit for a recorder on this one. But there's a, a, a woodwind instrumental that sounds like either a recorder or an ocarina. It's just, that's a DX7. I think it's the oboe oh, really? sound. Yeah, I think it's oh. the oboe sound that was on there. Okay. They just sort of warped it a little, you know. I like it. All right, fantastic. Anything else on One More Time? 
I think that about covers it. Okay, well, the next one is an interesting song. It's called Like Cockatoos. It's another great song. It's just really another one that's just so out of left field for them. Yeah, there's really some interesting sonic layering going on here. Yeah. The beginning is really interesting. It reminded me of rain falling on a tin roof, but obviously much louder than that. It's very textured. I mean, we have Robert Smith on recorder again. It's it's unique. This was my girlfriend in high school's favorite song on the album. She even wrote a piece of the lyrics on the back of her denim jacket. She had to drawn the lips on there, too, and she's a really good artist. Are you still in touch with her? Sporadically. She she went through some stuff about 12 years ago and deleted all her social media and moved out moved very far away. And She went through a pretty nasty divorce and just kind of said, fuck society and disappeared. I guess I can understand that. Yeah. Okay, do you have your next song? Sorry. Up next we have Icing Sugar. You can't tell what this one's about. You're just, you know, been living under a rock. Lori, come on. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, have, I have in my notes here that this is very dark and violent. You know, he's got Blade Kisses the Fruit and I'll Empty You. Rico, I'm going to compile an episode one day of all the things that had gone over your... It's about cocaine. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Which... You know, I, I you know what I shouldn't make fun of you because when I first heard this album, I didn't know anything about cocaine and how you would go about doing it. And yeah. Then when I got in my twenties and been around with it, I was like, oh, holy shit, that Cure song. You know, now that you mention it, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Icing sugar, yeah, sugar, cocaine, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely about cocaine. Okay. Well, um, thank you for enlightening me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we've got the first two minutes and 10 seconds that are instrumental. It's got a very drum-heavy intro, which was reminiscent to me of The Hanging Garden. Yeah. But with sax. So we've got Andrew Brennan on sax again. I find the, the songs that have the sax to be very distracting. It just doesn't work for me and a Cure song. 
I always wonder why Pearl didn't play the sax on this album. Mm. He did it all before. And if he wants to cure an on the concert, so he plays sax on stage and that too. Well, and I, I looked up Andrew Brennan and he, even though he's known as a saxophonist, he was only on this album and then he was on one other album from some obscure band I've never heard of. So it sounds like Robert like had auditioned him or, or you know, picked him out to do this. It was probably whoever the studio contacted to do it. Studios will have a list of musicians that they can call. They, you know. Well, I was under the impression it was Robert that chose him, but it could be both. They could very, it, could be both. it could be Robert knew him. I don't know. So what's the little music box sound at the end? I don't know. Oh, Sounds okay. like an actual music box to me, so that's probably exactly what it is. Okay, all right. This was when samplers were really starting to gain steam, so it was probably sampled and put in there. It was Mary's jewelry box. There you go. Of course, everything <laughs> goes back to Mary somehow, right? Yeah. Now, up next, we have The Perfect Girl, which I love, and I got to see them play this live in Atlanta in 2016, which... No one was expecting, and the, com- the place completely freaking erupted when they started playing it. Because this is one they had whipped out since 1987, so everybody just went bananas. <laughs> one it's really upbeat and fun <laughs> if you've ever tried to sing a cure song robert smith has this way of kind of half singing half talking yeah it's really really hard to emulate it's really hard to do a cover of a cure song because of the way robert delivers his vocals robert foresaw the rise of karaoke and didn't want you singing his song so Is he did this thing yes Is that you what didn't know uh, he had his little spooky crystal ball and said... Uh, uh, yeah, the real story about Mount is, is he never felt like he could actually sing. Mm-hmm. So he would, says he would try to sabotage himself and sing off key and such here and there. Well, and it it really kind of became his trademark, didn't mm-hmm. it? It really kind of became the distinctive... His voice is unmistakable. You know, it, it can't be confused for anybody else. And he's 65 years old and still completely has it. Yeah, amazing. You know, even Susie, on her, the show she's been doing, she's definitely singing on a lower key live. Robert gets up there and belts out all these songs in the exact key they were singing the day they were recorded. And it's unbelievable that he can do that. So, Perfect Girl, great song. Yes. One of the best ones on this album. I, I'd be inclined to agree. I think it is. So next up we have a thousand hours. A 
they've resurrected this one on their recent U.S. tour, which surprised a whole lot of people. Yeah? I don't think they even played this one live back in 87. I'm not 100% sure, because The Cure are one of the most heavily bootlegged bands on the entire planet, probably next to The Dead and Bruce Springsteen. For some reason, there's very few bootlegs of this tour. Well, so this song is another... I have written down another Cocteau-esque foray into dream pop. Again, it just makes me think that he was just trying to go with the flow with what was popular on radio and such at the time. His take on a Whitney Houston-style ballad, if you will. All right, you lost me there. I don't see any similarity between this song and Whitney Houston, but... I do really love the synth strings that he's got going on there, though. But those types of ballads were all over the radio at that point in time, and this is definitely in that vein of things. I do think it sounds like Dream Pop, but I also think it's their take on whatever was going on around them at the time. I just used Whitney Houston as, you know, a sign to point at. You see what I mean? I mean, think about it. All right. You could throw this on a top 40 station in 1987. It would fit in with all that other shit that was going on. People wouldn't even realize this, hey, this is some underground band from England. You know, the piano, the DX7. Uh, maybe. The DX, maybe. The DX7 piano, which was on every freaking song on the radio at that point in time. Yeah, but I mean, there wasn't a lot of this on the radio in 87. There wasn't a lot of dream pop type, Cocteau Twins type. Not not in 87, not on mainstream radio. You know, college stations, yeah. That's why I said it's their take on that sort of thing. Gotcha. They gave you the, what they were here and they listened to it and this is like, you know, you see what I mean? They were clearly trying to get some sales for this record. And I, a few of these songs are very accessible. You see what I mean there? Does that make more so. sense? I think so. I think so, yeah. And I did say very early on this was probably their most commercially accessible album. To right, make, right. So. And they yeah, were, yeah. You know, they they really wanted this. You know, on the Head on the Door era, I should have saved this for that episode, but Mary had given Robert an ultimatum and said, you know, you really need to start making some money with this or like, you know, you might want to start thinking about finding a career. Really? Yes. God, I can't imagine anybody saying that to Robert Smith. Well, I, I don't think she meant it to hurt either, but, but you know, they did. He, he had a life life to live too, and I, you know, yeah. And I mean, if you're going to marry somebody, you want to make sure they can support you. I get that. I get that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, so there's two more songs left, and these really are very sonically different than the other songs on the album. The next song after a thousand hours is called Shiver and Shake. Okay, I should note here that most fans feel like these songs are directed at Lawrence Tolhurst. Really? 
You're just a waste of time. You're just a babbling face. You're just three sick holes that run like sores. I mean, the the hatred that is spewing from these lyrics. Oh, my God. I mean, he does destroy in the band. And we'll get more into that with the disintegration episode, which is not far out, actually. But we'll get to that. And he, Robert, did really become a band. I mean, Lawrence had really become a band on their existence. The problem is that he and Robert had been childhood friends. Right. And he didn't know what to do. And they didn't want to just fire him because they were afraid he would kill himself. Right. And I mean, how do you how do you sever a tie like that when you right? Been... And there was also the fear of him being able to sue him. There was a this, that's a Pandora's box right there. But most people feel like this song and the next one fight were de- definitely directed at Lowell, which is interesting because he played on them. But another thing that should be said here is apparently Lowell could very barely play on this album. Because he was that intoxicated or what? He was just drunk and high all the time and, you know, wouldn't show up and which is pretty uh, much why they fired him during during the disintegration sessions. This is that's what led to him eventually just firing him. Oh wow. Well, so this one feels a lot more like post punk than most of the other songs on this album. They're getting back to their punk roots, I think. This one and the next song, Fight. No? Probably so. He, I'm sure he was definitely thinking back to that era of the band, maybe, with these two songs. I love both of them. I thought they were great. You know, back in 1987, I had no idea of the troubles that were going on in the band. Uh-huh. And I remember my girlfriend and I would ponder for hours who these might have been written at. I'm actually not even sure we knew of Mary's existence at this point in time, because there just wasn't much of We didn't have the internet or anything. Right, right, exactly. But, right, so we didn't... I did, you know, I think at some point that fall, we did find out that the woman in the Just Like Eden video was his long-time girlfriend, and her name was Mary. Well, I saw her sitting off to the left of the stage a time or two over the years. That's cool. If you pay close attention at a cure show and look off to the left or right of the stage, you might see Mary sitting there in a chair watching, which happened multiple times on this recent tour. Even sang at her once. I'll put that Aww. on our, our page, too. Okay. All right, so Trey, there's one last song. I love this one. Okay, and this is Fight. Right. like two completely different songs mashed together to me the verses are reminiscent of the cocteau twins again i mean so much so that had elizabeth fraser's voice suddenly come in in the verses i wouldn't have been surprised in the least but then we get to this very jarring chorus of fight 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 and it it feels like two completely different songs to me again i think they were just taking a stab at hard rock okay i mean that's you know the riff, 
everything that the, the heavy presence of the song they were clearly clearly broaching into harder areas and you know i don't care for these last two songs oh i love them oh i don't care for them especially if i used to play this one over and over and over I well it's because fight, you're, you're, you're an angry young man it's just a well-done song. And again, at that point, um, I had no idea Simon had gotten Robert into Iron Maiden, and they were just going, you know, let's see what we can do with this. Well, Trey, that brings us to the end of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. It's, 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 you know, I, I spent the whole weekend reading about this album. It just got lost in 1987. It was a great weekend. I wish I could expand on that more in the episode, but people don't want to hear me reminiscing on my high school girlfriend, I don't think. And I'm not so sure she wants to hear all that either. She happens to hear this, but well, you never right. know she might. But but that's that's the beauty of music, isn't it? Is that it's such a universal experience that, you know, you have memories of falling in love and losing your virginity and stuff like that. And I have different memories associated with this album. But I mean, there's something about the music that is is universal that strikes a chord in people. Anybody can hear like cockatoos or just like heaven and they can relate to that. You know what I mean? There, there's somebody in their life that, that, you know, oh yeah, I get this. You know what I mean? At this point in my life, I was in the process of becoming a guy. And this is one of those integral albums for me that just, this music is so unique on this album. There's nothing else in the world like this out there anywhere. I mean, no one's even ever going to come close to doing something that's just so branching. And even the, you know, the 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 lyrics, the meanings of the songs and such. It's just, it's just like you did. You say some of the songs are surreal, a- ethereal. I think is the word I use. But yeah, this whole album is just. It's almost a paradox. Just like heaven itself, you, you really sit down and listen to lyrics and think it's this happy, lovey song, but it's got such a dark ending to it. Yeah, just stole the only girl I love and drowned her deep inside of me, suffocating her, basically. No one else, no one before or after has ever done anything remotely near that. It's just... Can't think of the word I need. That's how I felt the first time I heard this album. It left me freaking speechless. At this point in my life, this was literally the best thing I'd ever heard my entire life. I mean, it was like just a holy freaking wow moment for me. Okay. I don't think I stopped playing this album for months. I remember calling my girlfriend and just discussing it for two or three hours on the phone later at night we had bought it. Just just pour it, kind of like what me and you just did, pour it over. It's cool. You got anything to say? <laughs> we can go another two hours if you like. No, no, no. It's all right. So um, I'm thinking already about our next episode, Trey. And uh, we're going to do one more album deep dive into a 1987 classic. And this is going to be Substance 1987 by New Order. I had actually forgotten we were going to do that. Yeah. So it actually <laughs> is, a compil- it is a compilation album. Is so to me pivotal in the formation of my personality, my musical tastes. I mean that uh, that album is to me what I think "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me" is to you. Oh, this album! I'd su- well, we'll get into it in the episode. This album had the same effect on me too. It was just another, just you know, 
life-changing moment. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We'll discuss that in the episode. I was about to start barking about substance. Okay. See what happens when um, you get me started on these subjects? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, let, let me, I want to say this to our audience. I don't know what Laurie's going to, we're going to do disintegration by the cure when we hit 89. And I don't, I don't think Lori realizes the Pandora's box she has opened with allowing me to speak about that album. That episode is going to be eight hours long. It's going to be a freaking TED talk. All right. Hey, we got to wrap this episode up, Trey. We can go another two hours on this album. I mean, we truly can. Maybe you can, but I've got stuff I got to do. So (laughs) how about we wrap it up? All right. Let's do that. Darn it. All right. It's a goodbye from me. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. This was a special episode for me, and I really hope y'all all enjoy it. <laughs>